This is DWMOD. Welcome back, guys. It's the sports podcast where comedians are talking about sports. Hey, I just want to take a minute to thank everybody for tuning into that last episode with my man Grant Lancaster, the hip-hop episode. Uh, it was fantastic. Got a lot of great feedback, and I promise you, based on what everybody has said, uh, we are definitely trying to set up a follow-up to that where we'll get a little more in-depth to the things that Grant was getting into. That was a great episode. This week, we're going to keep it strictly on sports. A lot of stuff going on out there this sports week. Not going to have a guest on the show this week. Just going to break down the college football playoffs for you the way I see them. Um, also, I want to get a quick rant off my chest about this Maryland issue, right? I mean, are you kidding me? University of Maryland reinstated DJ Durkin as the coach at the board of regents is in Maryland. You know, it's a state run university. So that's how that works. The board of regents is in control of who the president is. And they pretty much call all the shots out there. There's completely disconnected from reality. I mean, do they think this is smart? I mean, like, is this a money move for them? Is that what it was? Is it like, you know, you know they already paid the family a, a certain amount of money and they, they just don't want to have to pay out more money to this guy too, if they fire him or something. I mean, it's preposterous, but I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what they're even thinking. I mean, are they afraid that like, if they fire them, he's going to be able to sue them or something? Or did he show up to this meeting with the board of regents and you had a bunch of uh, pictures of, of all the members from the board from their last eyes wide shut party. I don't know. I don't know how you walk out of that room and decide to reinstate this guy after this. First and foremost, uh, like we already said, this is a state-run university, so uh, the powers that be need to relieve the board members of their duties completely and, and as soon as possible, immediately. Someone needs to step in and fire these clowns immediately. I mean, give the power back to the president. I mean, this is the only guy in the process of this whole thing from from the very moment that this young man collapsed on the field. This is the only guy that has done anything credible and right. When he took the podium after the incident, I mean, we all felt like, okay, this guy gets it. You know what I mean? He gets it, and there's going to be some legitimate attempts here to bring some healing and to make this thing right, as right as you can. You know what I mean? This guy had it right. I mean get rid of the board of regents right now, fire every one of those clowns, give the power back to the president to fire the coach. You know, that, that's exactly what my feelings were when this first happened. And then we find out the next day that the pre the president decided to step in and supersede the board and, you know, his own career be damned. He's going to resign at the end of the year over this whole issue. And he did fire the clown. He had to, you, you have to do that. Where else do you go with the situation? The situation, reinstating DJ Durkin like that, that was an absolute death penalty to a program that was already on life support. I mean, they just flat out pulled the plug. I mean, what did they think was going to happen going forward? That he was going to walk in that locker room and the guys were going to react positively to him? What did they think about him in the future with the program as a recruiter? Like, that guy's going to be able to go sit in the living room and tell other parents, yeah, trust me with your son. Give me your son and I'll take care of him. Not a chance, not a chance. And, and DJ Durkin's a fool. He's a fool to think that this was going to go in, in any kind of positive way. I mean, his only prayer was to fire himself after these guys, you know, reinstated him. I mean, if that were part of the plan, I'd say the guy was genius. I mean, if he went in there and coaxed them into reinstating him with some song and dance and they bought it and then they reinstated him and then he went out and resigned himself 
and, and made statements like, you know, out of respect for the program and out of the f- respect for the family, I want to try to bring some healing to this thing. And, you know, all the teammates of Jordan McNair, I feel that I, I maybe still need more time to repent on the things that I, that I could have done to present the, prevent this tragedy, you know, before I return to coaching. Had he played that, I would have said he was a genius because that was his only shot and prayer of ever coaching again was to come forward like that. I mean, if he, if he would have done those things, I mean, maybe you could feel like, okay, this guy, you know, he made some mistakes, really bad ones, and he's learned from it. But no, the board reinstates him, and this clown walks right into the locker room and wants to give some kind of I'm back rah-rah speech to the guys. Good, good on those kids for getting up and walking out. I mean, yeah, get up and walk out on that because I just can't even comprehend what they were thinking. Some of the fallout of this thing definitely needs to be, uh, we need to land on Rick Court really quickly. I mean, Rick Court has a track record of being an asshole. I mean, this guy, he's just got a, a track record, these things, throwing weights at people, making kids sit and eat a bag of candy bars while they watch the other kids work out, dressing them down. I mean, what is this guy from 1954? Nobody gets any water. You pussies don't get any water. I mean, this we don't do things like this anymore. This guy needs to be banned. I mean, he needs to be banned for life from working in any NCAA capacity. He killed a kid. I mean, just let that sink in. He killed a child, okay? I know he's 19. He's an adult. That's a child, man. That's a kid. He killed a kid. You're banned for life, buddy. You're banned for life. I mean, that shouldn't even be... I mean, and furthermore, furthermore, the head trainer, Wes Robinson, and I think Steve Nardwall were these guys. That, I think Wes Robinson was head trainer to the football program, and Steve Nardwall is the uh, head athletic training program coordinator, you know, in, in that capacity. They should, they should have a complete investigation into how they handled the incident. It was botched from the start. They should have their license suspended. They killed a kid. Again, I'm going to nail that point. They killed a kid. Your license should be suspended. The kid collapses. You, they, they took his temperature and stuff. It was more than an hour until they even called 911. And as soon as the, the EMTs got on the scene, they took this kid's temperature. His body temperature is at 106 degrees. And then within minutes, they were immediately calling to the hospital that they had a, a full-grown male ha- having seizures from, from heat stroke. The kid went into seizures from heat stroke. This was an hour later. Look, I'm not going to beat this thing to death. We all know the facts of the case here. And for these two guys to not have their license suspended and be investigated is ridiculous. For Rick Court to not be completely banned from ever being a strength and conditioning trainer in any NCAA capacity, again, is beyond my comprehension. And for that board to get together and then reinstate DJ Durkin, I mean, they act like they had the next Urban Meyer or Nick Saban or something. I mean, this guy loses games like that's actually the objective of going out there on Saturday. This guy is no guru. This guy is no one that, like, I don't understand the protecting and reinstating a guy who has the program in a toilet to begin with. This isn't a great program to begin with. Your only move here is to get rid of this clown and to start fresh. Bringing him back in... I. Listen, I, I just got to get off of this, this soapbox on this right now because I'm beating a dead horse. We all know how stupid, stupid this was, and that's why they came out less than 24 hours later and went, oh, and swallowed hard and said, 
duh. And then they fired the guy. Well, thank God for the president. They may not have done it. Yeah, actually, they may not have done it. Thank God for the president for coming forward and firing this guy. And then the the head of the, the Board of Regents was forced to resign. He's forced to resign. But that's what you get when you got a, a panel full of 78-year-old. They're disconnected. Disconnected to walk in and reinstate this guy. Preposterous. And I'm sorry to everybody out there that is a diehard Maryland fan and has to live with this. And I'm sorry for the Big Ten for having this stain on them now. So anyway, uh, you know, I just wanted to touch on that because it really bothered me. It just really, really bothered me as a fan of college football. I love college football more than any other sport. And that just really, really bothered me. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, uh, let's, before we get into breaking down the college football, there's one other thing that's been kind of on my mind lately, and it has to do with baseball. Okay. Let me jump in. We just finished up the world series and, uh, baseball analytics has been at the forefront. I mean, baseball analytics has really been at the forefront and it was really, really exposed during this world series. You know, now don't get me wrong. Boston was the better team. They were going to beat the Dodgers. They're the better team, but the analytics that was dominating the decisions coming out of that Dodger uh, dugout. It's gone too far. It's gone too far, man. I mean, Moneyball has turned into analytics. You know, it used to be about low payroll and, and, and playing the odds. And, you know, you get the first baseman that takes a lot of walks and eventually he scores runs and eventually you win a few more games than you would have because of that. And then you can compete on the cheap. You know, that was the deal. That's Moneyball. You saw the movie, you know, Billy Bean. That's the way that that whole thing was working. I'm simplifying it. But, you know, in simple terms, that's how this thing started out. And that's how it was working. And that's great. But now it has spread to every aspect of the game. I mean, it's gone too far. It's gotten to the point that managers no longer manage. I mean, the computer does it. The computer does it. You know, let's disagree with me or don't. But there's some validity to the math and the percentages there is. But it should only be used as a tool to help you make the decisions. And, and, and it's become a dictator of decisions. I mean, managers are regularly letting the analytics decide what hitter faces what pitcher in what situation based on what side of the plate he swings from or a small sample size of a bats against the, a certain pitcher. And there's just there's too many variables in baseball for these analyzed statistics to be taken as complete absolutes. There's just too many variables. I mean, oh, he's 5-12 and 12 in his last 12 at-bats against lefties in the 7th to ninth inning of games in which his team has taken a one-run lead or trailed by a run. I mean, whatever. Listen, again, you know, I'm simplifying it, but these are the kind of things that they're digging into now to dictate their decisions. And I'm being broad with that, but I'm not too far off on how far they take these things. Here's what's maybe not taken in consideration in that little uh, fact of analyzation there. Um, let's take into consideration that six of those at-bats came in the third game of a series where the other team had a depleted bullpen and they already won the first two games. And, you know, they're forced to use inning eaters just to finish out a couple of games. And a guy whacks a few hits in that situation. Well, his numbers just went through the roof in that situation and from the left side of the plate against this pitcher. Again. You know what I mean? There's just too many variables to take these things as absolutes. You know, and that brings me to my next point, and, and you can disagree with me or don't on this one, but just because we can track the hell out of a certain stat doesn't make that stat ultimately important. Do you know what I'm saying? 
It's like, just because we can track these things, we're placing the ultimate importance upon these things. And those two things don't necessarily go hand in hand, you know, and especially in the playoffs and in a series. Okay. Over the course of 162 games, uh, these stats and analytics, they have, they have a long time, uh, a long timeline to, to level themselves out and give you results. Okay. The percentages have time to level out. They show a pattern and give you results. That's great for a team like Oakland, small payroll, you know, uh, can attract big stars, nor would they want to pay them if they could. They're not going to do that. You know, it, it leads to a few more wins here and there, which keeps them in the mix and, and then they can make the playoffs, you know, but what have they done when they got there? Nothing. And that's the point. Play the odds during the se- the regular season. You know what I mean? That's fine. But in the postseason, toss them out. Toss them out. You know, because it killed the Dodgers. And, and it's well known the analytics rule that dugout. They rule every decision in that dugout for the Dodgers. That's just well known. We all know that. And look, like I said before, I know Boston was a better team and they're going to beat them. But that doesn't change the fact that almost all the analytical decisions that were made by the Dodgers and Dave Roberts, you know, they didn't give the results that the data supported. Flip a coin 162 times and it'll level out. You'll you'll eventually come up with numbers that are somewhere right around 50%. Uh, you know, that's how that'll work. Okay. But flip it seven times or, or, or only flip it five times in this case, like the world series. And you could very easily wind up with four heads and one tail. And that's the point. Okay. The analytical water doesn't have a chance to level itself out over that small a sample size of games like a series. Okay. So when you do things like that, you know, silly things like leave your two best home run hitters on the bench to start a game in the World Series because the numbers show that other less talented players are more likely to have success off a certain pitcher in a certain ballpark based on what side that he swings from against a slider that this pitcher has. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help you. It's too small a size. doesn't have a chance to level out. You're not going to get those results over a short sample size. So you've let the numbers crush your ability to manage, not to mention it's the world series. It's the postseason, man. Great players gear up for these moments. And, and, and most of them are at their best when their best is needed. I mean, that's the thing, right? Be at your best when your best is needed. That's what gives us the great moments that happen in the world series. And you're going to sit a guy capable of that because his 162 game sample size uh, over, you know, a third, over a third of those games in that 162 game sample size, you know, were probably irrelevant nightcaps at the end of a long series in Miami, San Diego, Baltimore. I mean, you get my point here. There's a lot of variables in those numbers that you're looking at. Okay, the World Series is different. These guys are geared up and ready to go. You're going to get a sample size of ready to play every time they're up to bat. You know, that's what we're dealing with here. So throw the other stuff out the window, man. I mean, it's crazy to me. Think of a a great moment in World Series history. And if you applied the numbers and, and, and analytics and stuff now, instead of the manager's gut feeling back then to just roll with his guy, a lot of these moments will probably never happen. And I, I mean, just off the top of my head, Gibby in 88, you know, he's injured and can barely walk and he's going to go up there and hit a home run off the best closer in the game, Eckersley. You know, that's something wouldn't happen nowadays. Just wouldn't happen. The analytics wouldn't let that happen, you know. And here, this is probably the best example that I can think of in this case is Jack Morris against John Smoltz 
game seven of the 1991 world series. That's that is the greatest pitching performance in the history of the world series. You can take down Larson's perfect game. That's fine. I'll take this one. This is the greatest pitching performance in the history of the game. Morris goes 10 innings for a one, nothing shutout in game seven to win the world series. Okay, that's the longest pitching performance in the history of the World Series and didn't even give up a run and wins it one to nothing. Okay, and here's the kicker. John Smoltz also went eight innings scoreless and didn't give up a run. Yeah, he also went eight innings of shutout baseball. In today's game, the bullpen would have been called upon in the fifth inning on both these guys. They had runners on here and there. These guys nowadays would have got yanked so fast because of analytics. And look what happened here. So it's the World Series, man. It's the playoffs. You got to throw that stuff out the window. And and those couple examples are just off the top of my head. But you get my point. Analytics has a place, man. But it's taking over to the detriment of the managers. You can keep all your wars and whips and your OBPs and keep all that stuff, man. You know, I'll take a talented gamer and and let him make history. And for the most part, that's what was going on in the Boston dugout. You know, he was letting his guys play. And on a side note, you know, I am not a fan of the Red Sox. I, I cannot root for the Red Sox or the Yankees. But I was kind of pulling for the Red Sox to win the World Series this time around because every time I was watching them, uh, it felt a little bit like I was watching a Tiger game from five or six years ago. I mean, so many Detroit Tigers on that team. J.D. Martinez, uh, David Price pitched for us, Porcello, longtime Tiger, Kinsler, Tiger for a while there, and Dave Dombrowski. I, you know, I really wanted Ricky Porcello and Dave Dombrowski to get those rings. Uh, Ricky P. was a guy I loved when he's in Detroit. Guys hated on him constantly, and, and I never understood it. Yeah, he'd have an ERA of around four or five, you know what I mean? But that was Ricky. He'd go out and get nailed one game, but then he'd be immaculate in the next four or five, you know? And for for us to rail, we were so lucky with the pitching staff that we had with David Price's and Max Scherzer's and Justin Verlander's that we'd look at a guy like Rick Porcello, who was winning 13, 14 games a year out of the four spot, and you want to rip on him and dog him like he's not good enough because you're comparing him to three other Cy Young winners. And Ricky went on to win a Cy Young. But, you know, and Tiger fans would rip on the guy and just wanted to tear him up and get rid of him. And you were, the kid pitched for us when he was 19 years old. I mean, 19, 20. By the time he was 23, 24, he already had four or five seasons of experience under his belt. He was still a kid learning, and he was only getting better, and he was already knocking down 12, 13, 14 wins a season. So I just think it was stupid. Um, I've had a lot of arguments with people back then, and I stick to it, that Rick Porcello's a guy that by the time he's done, is going to be really close to probably 250 wins. He'll be north of 200. He'll be close to 250 wins probably by the time he's done pitching. And that's going to be closer to the new standard of a Hall of Fame pitcher, the way analytics dominates the game now with relievers and, you know, five starters in a rotation. And those things are starting to bring that 
300 win mark, you know, down. That's not as attainable anymore. It's not really a benchmark that is really going to be attained anymore. 250 is going to be the new mark you'll see 20 years from now that they're going to look at in the Hall of Fame as that. That's a great career as a starter. And Ricky P is going to be one of those guys. Uh, you know, I always loved him, and I'm glad he got a ring. And Dave Dombrowski was great in Detroit. And, you know, congratulations to him. Glad for Dave Dombrowski, too. So that's just a couple of things that have really been on my mind that uh, I've been thinking a lot about and I wanted to pop off on them. So anyway, <laughs> down to brass tacks now. Here's the deal. College football playoffs, right? The rankings, first set of rankings just came out, and there are scenarios all over the board here. So you saw the list. Let's dive right in, right? They got Bama, Clemson, LSU, Notre Dame. That's one through four right now, okay? Outside looking in, five Michigan, six Georgia, seven Oklahoma, eight Washington State, nine Kentucky, and then Ohio State at 10. So we're going to get into breaking every single one of them down, but just off the top of my head looking at that list, I don't know how the committee or their numbers or however they do it sees fit to put a team like Kentucky at nine in front of a team like Ohio State I mean I understand Purdue just waxed Ohio State but really I mean honestly Kentucky at nine like they're gonna have a shot we'll get into that I'm not dogging Kentucky I like them but anyway let's just start right at the top is Alabama right Alabama their signature win so far this year maybe is A&M top 25 win that's great but they're Bama they are who they are they've they've had a pretty soft SEC schedule no that's out of their hands I get that but it starts ramping up here pretty quick, okay? They're going to play LSU here, number three, this weekend. And then they got Mississippi State. And then they've got the Iron Bowl against Auburn, okay? So, you know, that's one where you throw the records out the window. That Auburn game, it's, you know, you expect them to be competitive in that game. Although this is an Alabama juggernaut this year that looks better than past Alabama juggernauts. I don't think they're going to drop one of those games. Not one of them. You know, but we all wish they would. There's, there's this sentiment out there that college football needs Bama in the playoff, and I disagree. I disagree wholeheartedly. It does not need Alabama in the playoff. I would argue more people would be completely interested and all in with their chips on the table if Alabama wasn't in. I think we're all tired of that, and nobody wants to see it. But it, every here's the reality of the situation, though. Here's the reality of the situation. Everyone's worst nightmare is Bama losing to LSU, okay, or Georgia in the championship game for that for that matter, because they're in no matter what. You better know that right now, that there is really only three spots to be had in a college football playoff right now because Alabama has locked one up already, and it's everyone's worst nightmare if they lose to LSU and don't play in that SEC championship game. Or if they lose, if they get there undefeated and lose to Georgia in that SEC title game, then that's going to mean that there's going to be two teams from the SEC in guaranteed, okay, no matter what. So, so that means someone else will be left out. And if that were to take place, that probably most likely means the Big Ten or the Big 12, Okay, and I'm going to take this opportunity to get up on a soapbox that I'm always on, always on. And you can disagree with me or don't. But if you do, you're an idiot, because I'm telling you right now, you know, Alabama, there's no secret that Alabama is a big time media darling and the media loves the SEC and they'll be dying to let Alabama try and win yet another national championship, you know, and leave someone else out, even though 
they didn't even win their own conference or win their own division within their conference. That is a major problem for me. Okay. Uh, I understand, you know, how things used to work when it was only, you know, two teams and they put them in the, uh, the championship game. And now that there's a playoff, uh, I just have a different perspective on this. Now that there is a playoff, there absolutely should just be a six team playoff. And here's how it w- should work for purity. The five power five conference game champion winners are in you have to win your conference championship to play for a national championship okay those five teams are in and you get one at large bid one at large bid which in a case like this would let Alabama into the playoff okay so then you're still going to get them because I know I'll get the door slammed on me if you don't but you also have a bylaw in there for a team like UCF now, you can say they can't compete or not, but last year you saw them beat an Auburn team. Everyone argued probably should have made the playoffs, and they went undefeated. And, yeah, you're right. You know, probably 10 out of 10 times a team like UCF is not going to win that national title. But it doesn't mean those kids don't deserve a chance to play on that scale and to play on that stage and have their shot. But here's the disclaimer, okay? You have to be undefeated. You have to be undefeated. A non-Power 5 conference championship game winner who is undefeated would automatically take the bid at, at the sixth spot. Okay, so you got your five power champs in, and then like last year, UCF would have been in. You know, but that's just how I would like to see it play out. But we all know it's not going to, but that would be a real championship. I mean, it just doesn't seem right to me that a team who didn't even win their own conference championship and, and didn't even win their own division, you weren't even the best team within your own division within your conference, it doesn't seem right to me that that team somehow is the national champ. You know what I mean? And the bigger problem I have with that hypocrisy is that no other conference is given that courtesy. No other conference is given that courtesy at all. You know, in fact, um, it was highly frowned upon in 06 when University of Michigan played Ohio State in the season finale, and, and it was number one versus number two. Okay, and they had an epic game, 42 to 39, settled by a field goal. They played at Ohio State, and everyone was clamoring for those two best teams in the country to then play again for the national title and settle this thing on a neutral site. Everyone wanted to see these two teams play again on a neutral site. They were the best two teams in the country. Okay, it would have been one of the greatest college football championship games ever, but it was ultimately decided that a rematch between two teams from the same conference in the same division in that conference was unfair. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to, that's fine. If that's going to be your reasoning and your logic, then I'm, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm okay with that. That's fair enough. Then that's fair enough. Okay. Someone else should get a chance then cut to just a few years later when the national championship featured. Yes. Two teams from the same conference, who played in the same division within that conference, who played an epic game during the regular season, which was also decided by only a field goal, while both teams were ranked number one and number two. And of course, these two teams were the LSU Tigers, and you guessed it, Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. And it was decided that these two teams should play again for the national title because that's what everybody wants to see and they're the best two teams in the country. Okay, but I'd just like to follow 
that hypocrisy up by pointing out one small fact. We didn't need to see these two teams settle it on a neutral field because LSU beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. You lost at home. You're done. All right? Sorry. I'm going to get off of that soapbox, but my God, you can see how blatantly unfair that whole situation was. So, sorry about that, but I get off my chest. I'm moving on. Okay. Back to this year. Anyway, Alabama, number one. I'm putting them in. Okay, they're in. They're not going to drop a game. They're going to have that number one spot. I'm giving it to them because even if they lose, like I already said, even if they lose, they're going to be in anyway. And I'm not saying they should. Rightfully so, the way this thing works now. They'll be in. Fine. So that's one spot in. Going to be Alabama. All right? So that brings me to let's just really quickly touch on uh, the UCF thing. Okay, UCF, I think they're sitting at number nine in the AP. They're undefeated again. They haven't lost a game in two years, you know, but their chances of making the playoffs are, are none. I mean, they're none. They don't have any signature wins really of note. I mean, it's, okay, they beat Pitt. Um, okay, that's not really that big a deal. Now, they were hurt by the North Carolina game being canceled, we all thought, when it was canceled because of the hurricane. But North Carolina is sitting at 1-6 and six right now, so even if they played that game and beat them, there's really nothing you can argue there. That wouldn't have helped them. Their last couple games here, they're going to play Navy, and then they're going to play Cincinnati, who's 7-1, and one, and then they're going to play uh, South Florida Bulls, who are 7-1, and one, okay? And then possibly meet Houston in the championship game. That's just not enough big games down the stretch there to jump a Power 5 one loss power five team to get in i mean you're just not a one loss power five champ like out of the big 10 or the big 12 it's just not enough wins there they're not going to do it they're not going to be in and that's the name of the game that's the way that works so eliminate central florida from your you know thought process there fun team to watch but that's just not not going to happen all right um you know like i said 16 playoff would reward them they'd be undefeated they'd be in but we're moving on uh the next one Let's just go right to number two, Clemson. Okay, let's jump to the ACC. Clemson's a no-brainer here, guys. Okay, they're in. Signature wins this year. They beat A&M, and then they kind of beat up on a bunch of nobodies. The, the ACC is so soft this year. Miami's not what we thought they were. They're not that good. Florida State is terrible. The ACC is just not that good. The next best team in the ACC is Boston College this year, and I think they're ranked like 24th. They're a decent little team. I'm not knocking them, but come on, it's Boston College, man. So... That's who they got this weekend anyway. They got Boston College this weekend, and they should beat them. And that's really kind of like a final quiz. It's not even a test. You know, then they got Duke and South Carolina. They're going to handle their business, okay? The ACC championship game is going to be a gimme for them. It's probably it's going to be against Virginia or Virginia Tech or Pitt. doesn't matter. Who cares? Whoever gets in, it's a wrap. Clemson is going to get the number two spot. They're going to be in the playoffs, okay? So now we've only discussed – number one Alabama, and number two Clemson, and we're already putting both of them in as a lock. So here's the reality situation. There's really only two spots to be had here. So let's dig in. Number three, LSU. Okay, it's plain and simple here. Their only shot to get in is to beat Alabama this weekend. And even then, they would absolutely need to beat Georgia in the title game, or they're done. I mean, they'll have two losses if they lose in the title game, and then they're done at that point. There's only one path for LSU. They've got to beat Alabama, win out, and then beat Georgia in the championship game. And that's a tall order, man. I'm going to put that as a tall order with chances of slim and none. So I'll say there's no chance here. LSU's not getting in. 
Love them this year. Tough team. And, you know, Eddie O's got them going, and that's great. I'm not saying that it can happen, but I'm saying that it won't happen. I'm saying LSU is going to be out. That brings us to number four, Notre Dame. Now, Notre Dame's sitting undefeated right now. They're sitting undefeated right now. They've got a really good signature win over U of M, okay? Uh, now, listen, I understand that no one no one really has given a lot of a weight to that win because it was a season opener in which both teams looked terrible. If you watch that game, both teams looked terrible and not like top 10 teams at all. But Notre Dame made the switch at quarterback, and they look way better now. I mean, they've looked really good. But the Michigan game is their real, it's really their only signature win. And let me defend the Irish right here, though. That's really not their fault. It's not their fault that their schedule is so weak because at the beginning of the season, it looked like a juggernaut. I mean, it really did. But then Stanford and Virginia Tech wound up being mediocre, okay? They still got FSU on the schedule to play, but, man, FSU's terrible this year. Who would have thought that, okay? They're going to play Northwestern this weekend, and Northwestern's decent. I mean, they're a tough team. They'll probably show up, and, and but Notre Dame should be able to handle them and win that game. And then they're going to have a, a home game against a really capable Syracuse team. It's a good Syracuse team this year, so that'll be a good win for them there and then they're on the road at USC which at the beginning of the year looked just like a game that could propel anybody into the playoff I mean you're going to end the season playing USC who everyone expect to run away with the Pac-12 this year you knock them off at home before you know they go into the championship game series every, every other conference and you don't have one you know that looked at the beginning of the year like wow that could be a good game that could propel them into the championship game but now USC is mediocre at best and it's quickly turned into a game that quite frankly could sink Notre Dame if it's even close if that game's close it could sink Notre Dame I mean rivalry game or not there they need to roll them they need to roll USC so uh, the bottom line here is for Notre Dame uh, they've got to go undefeated or bust They've got too many squeakers against bad teams on their resume to be considered with one loss. Barely beat Ball State, Vandy, Pitt. I mean, and the fact is, if they lose one game, they're for sure going to get jumped by the Big Ten champ or the Big 12 champ. That's just the way that that's going to play out. Because in the Big Ten especially, at the end of the year, the last game of the season, you're going to have Michigan against Ohio State, and these two are going to play each other, and they're both going to be ranked in the top ten at the time. The winner grabs a huge signature win there, and then they go on to a Big Ten championship game where you assume that they're going to roll whoever they play there, whether it be Northwestern, Iowa, or whoever. And, yeah, even though Notre Dame beat Michigan and they both have one loss, the Wolverines would they'll surely jump them and there's no chance of jumping the Buckeyes with one loss that's just not even going to happen so you know it's undefeated or out Notre Dame has to go undefeated or out now that being said I don't think they can do it I think they'll drop one that's a risk as an independent though right you got to go undefeated or bust I mean, maybe it's time to join a conference, guys, but we all know that they wouldn't do that because it wouldn't be lucrative because of the TV deal. Maybe they better get Clemson on the schedule then if they want to play in the playoff. They got that ACC deal. Maybe they ought to get Clemson on the schedule, you know, because if you only have one loss and it's to Clemson, you probably make the playoffs, you know. But that's just fact of the matter for me. Notre Dame's got to go undefeated or they're out. So that brings us to number five, Michigan. 
So I'm just going to lump number five, Michigan, in with number eight, Ohio State, and just talk about the Big Ten here because those are the two teams that are going to have a chance here. Uh, I believe one of these two teams is going to probably make the playoff. All right, it's kind of cut and dry, though, just like LSU for Michigan. They need to win out. But unlike LSU, uh, this is doable for Michigan. They'll need to beat Penn State this weekend, and if they pull that off and beat the Buckeyes in a top-10 matchup at the end of the year, That'll propel them into the Big Ten championship game where, you know, we all fully believe they should have a pretty easy victory. So that would give them a resume at the end of the year of being the Big Ten champs, a top 10 win against Ohio State, and wins against Wisconsin, MSU, and Penn State. I mean, that'll put them into the playoff for sure, as long as Bama stays undefeated. I mean, if Bama has a loss, the Big Ten could be living on a prayer. Maybe not, but it could really screw us. It's kind of the same story for OSU. I mean, after getting blistered by a mediocre Purdue team last week, they'll need to win out as well, okay? But I'll predict the biggest variable in the equation for both Michigan and Ohio State outside of Bama is a serious threat is when the Buckeyes travel to East Lansing in two weeks to take on the Spartans. Okay, the Buckeyes seem to be reeling after struggling all year and and with rumors of Urban Meyer's departure after the season. And they just don't look like that well-oiled machine that they normally are. They're having some problems and a Sparty win there, which very well could happen. But a Sparty win that week could sink Michigan as well, because, you know, beating a Buckeye team that lost to a bad Purdue team and grabbed a second loss to the Spartans just doesn't set Michigan up with those sexy, huge wins at the end of the year. You know, that that loss to the Spartans really could hurt the momentum of Michigan getting into the championship game. And wouldn't Sparty love that, right? And the Spartans are more than capable. That's a great football team up there. They play tough defense, and D'Antonio is one of the most underrated coaches in the country. Now, you can disagree with me or, or don't right here, but I'm going to say I think this is Michigan's for the taking. They handled their business this weekend against Penn State. I really think this is the year they're going to beat a, a confused and lackluster Ohio State team, and they're going to win that Big Ten championship, and I think that they're going to be able to get into the playoff with that. So that takes us to number eight, Georgia. So let's talk a little SEC outside of LSU, Alabama. Now, Georgia, they've got one path here, I'd say, and it's, it's near impossible unless LSU beats Alabama. The Bulldogs need to win out and be SEC champs, which will require them to beat the winner of the LSU-Bama game you know, in the SEC title game. That's why I say their only chance is if LSU beats Bama because then they'll get the rematch of the only game that they lost, and it's a game that's actually winnable for them. So Georgia could beat LSU in the SEC championship game, and that would propel them into the playoff. Now, should they face Bama in the SEC championship game, which they probably will, and lose, it's over. Two-loss team, you're done, you're out. But if they beat Bama, well, then they're both in, you know, and I won't bang that drum anymore, I promise. All right? Now, they got to get there first, though. They got Kentucky this weekend, okay? And and the winner's going to go to the SEC title game. I mean, now they should handle the task, and pretty soundly, I think. But Kentucky has surprised people all year, you know, so let's give them their due. But Georgia should beat them and probably beat them soundly, you know. And then they've got Auburn at home, which will be a tough game, but they should also win that game there before they're going to pummel UMass and Georgia Tech. 
I'll expect Georgia to be in the SEC championship game. Now, sidebar of Kentucky, they're also in the top 10 on this thing. And, you know, look, I know they have a statistical chance of winning the SEC and making the playoff, but realistically, they've got as good a chance as a bag of wet hair in a forest fire. I'm not dogging them, man. They're a nice team. They've shocked people all year. You know, they're having a record year for that program. And, you know, but honestly, that's a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest, man. You just can't compete. I'd love to see him pull it off. I really would love to see him pull it off. And if your aunt had balls, she'd be your uncle. But, I mean, that's just not the case. Now, I'll say this. If they do, I'll not only broadcast a full apology to each and every member of the whole team, but I'll rock Wildcat gear for the entire playoffs, even if it's against the Big Ten, you know. But to wrap it up here, I think Georgia won't be in the playoffs this year. It's just too tall in order for all those things to fall in line for them, and it's not going to happen. Now that brings us to our last two candidates here from the Big 12 and the Pac-12, okay? The Pac-12's only shot, their only shot is a long shot, and it's Washington State, who already has one loss, and it's to a mediocre USC team at home. But traditionally, you know, a loss at USC won't kill you. I mean, that won't kill you. All right. So here's what will the Pac-12 is weak, man. The Pac-12 is weak from top to bottom. Okay. Even if they can get past Cal this weekend, Colorado the next weekend, and then beat Arizona, they'll need to beat the Washington Huskies in the season finale. Okay. Washington six and three, and they're a good team, you know, but none of that wows anybody. I mean, none of those victories there are going to wow anybody. And a victory over Utah, who they already beat, you know, or USC and the Pac-12 championship game, it's just not going to be enough to help them jump over a one-loss powerhouse that's in the hunt. That is not going to be a good enough resume for them to jump Michigan or Ohio State rolling out undefeated. It's just not going to be. As usual, Pac-12 will need to buy a ticket to the dance unless they get some major, major upset miracle help here. Big, you know, Pac-12 is just not going to have a chance this year. Now, the Big 12 is another story, okay? Although this conference isn't very strong either. It's got three good teams. It's top-heavy, okay? Now, the Big 12 championship game is decided by the top two teams in the division. Well, not the division, I'm sorry, in the conference playing each other for the title game. So there's no divisions here, right? So right now it's a three-way tie between Texas, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. Only Oklahoma has a shot it's no secret that Oklahoma is also a media darling they love them and with a Heisman candidate and a star like Kyle Murray Kyler Murray uh, you know they're exciting to watch they are they're exciting to watch and they'd be welcomed by the committee to leapfrog another one loss powerhouse team they'd be more than welcome okay Texas and West Virginia they play this weekend and the loser is out you know, barring crazy scenarios within the conference that I will just skip for time's sake here. The loser of that game is going to be out. Okay, so in order for this to seriously be threatening, I think Oklahoma will need West Virginia to win that matchup. Okay, I don't think beating a two-loss Texas team will be as sexy as a top-10 matchup and the final game of the season, and that's just what they're going to get. If West Virginia beats Texas this weekend, it's going to be a top-10 team West Virginia against a top-10 team Oklahoma. And here's the kicker. No matter who wins this game, 
these two teams are going to turn around and play each other again in the Big 12 championship. So essentially, one of these teams is going to need to beat the other team two times in a row, literally in a row. And that matchup will absolutely be billed as win again and punch your ticket to the playoffs. But it's disingenuous, and here's why. Neither of these teams has a signature win all year. Seriously, Oklahoma beat FAU, UCLA, Iowa State, Army, Baylor, lost to Texas, beat TCU, Kansas State, and then for argument's sake of this scenario, we'll assume they're going to beat Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, and Kansas to finish out the year. Okay? Not one of these teams is ranked. Not one of those victories is over a team that is ranked in the top 25. Not one ranked team. And of those wins, six, six of those teams have losing records. I mean, it's no wonder their offense is a juggernaut. Uh, six of those teams have losing records. Their only signature win, lucky for them, is going to come at the end of the year, and they're going to need it. You know, they are, they are going to need it. And it's going to need to be against West Virginia ranked in the top 10 and then beat them again. Okay. I think that would pull Oklahoma in, even though I just showed you why it's disingenuous. That'll be enough. If they beat a top 10 West Virginia team in that championship, they're going to put them in. Make no mistake. Okay. But make no mistake about this. On the flip side of that coin, if West Virginia should pull off winning out, and they beat a top 10 Oklahoma team and beat them again in the Big 12 championship game, they could easily be left out. They could easily be left right out in the same exact scenario flipped on its ear. You know, even though they've got a better resume, I mean, having beat Texas, okay, and then beating Oklahoma, and they've got a few more teams that actually have some winning records that they beat for that matter, but I know it sounds completely unfair. It's We all know that this is how this thing works. Okay, I'll take the Sooners to win out, though. I'll take the Sooners. I think they're going to win out. They're going to win that matchup with West Virginia or Texas, and they're going to make the playoff, edging out a one-loss Notre Dame team. That's kind of where I'm at with that. That's all the scenarios. That's all the variables, all the teams that I believe have a chance, all the, the Power 5 conferences, how they're going to play out, who's going to be the champs. Um, and I'll bet you I'm really close on a lot of it. But it's college football, and you don't know what's going to happen. Also, I mean, what fun would that be for anybody else to not be able to get a jump on DWMOD Twitter and just rail me for being a boob who doesn't know what he's talking about, right? I know you guys would probably enjoy that. So let me give you that opportunity right now, and I'm going to lay down the brass, and I'm going to make actual predictions, okay? I've given you the breakdowns. I've given you all the scenarios and how I think that things need to play out politically for teams to get here and there. And now I'll give you what I think is going to happen. Okay. I'm going to give you two scenarios. I'm going to give you two picks here. Okay. My first bracket of what I think it's going to be, it's going to be Bama number one, undefeated SEC champs, Clemson number two, undefeated ACC champs. And then the third spot is going to go to the big 10 champ, be that Michigan or Ohio state, whoever wins that championship. I think it's going to be Michigan, Michigan in a three spot is the big 10 champ. And then the fourth spot will go to Oklahoma after they beat West Virginia in the championship game or Texas, and they'll get that fourth spot over Notre Dame, who I think will drop one game. 
Okay. Or the alternative to that is going to be almost the same. Bama number one undefeated, Clemson number two undefeated, three Notre Dame undefeated. They win out. And then the fourth seed, again, being the Big Ten champ, Michigan or Ohio State. So in, in my little predictions and my scenarios here, I've got Oklahoma and Notre Dame being the wild card variables of who's going to grab that extra spot to the playoff. So anyway, if you got your own ideas or you think anything I said here is absolutely crazy, you want to rail on me, jump on Twitter and let me hear about it, man, at DWMODpod. And uh, give me your picks. Maybe we'll get a little some donations going, get some prizes going here. If somebody can pick all four teams and their exact seating, if anybody picks all four teams and their exact seating, uh, we'll try to get something sent out for you. We've got some sponsors to the show. We'll see what we can get you. But, hey, throw some tweets. Let's have some fun with this thing. I'd love to hear some feedback, um, some of the things you thought that maybe I'm dead on, um, maybe some of the things you think I'm crazy about, you know. Also been working on a Baseball Hall of Fame episode that I'm really doing some good research on. I'm really kind of digging into because that whole process really drives me crazy and I'd like to point out a lot of things that I think are just ridiculous within the Baseball Hall of Fame voting and how people get in. And anyway, we'll get into that, doing some research on that. So keep your eyes peeled for that. I'm going to get that up um, as soon as it's ready. And I think if you're a baseball fan, you're really going to enjoy that one. That'll be coming soon. But for now, college football season, man. Enjoy the games this weekend, and we'll see you next time.